Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Live from Studio C. A dimly lit room deep within the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Communications compound. And today, everybody, middle of the week, we're under the tutelage of, I guess, masks. We'll talk about that in a second. We'll talk about that in a second. But do you want to touch on Simone Biles? So uh, it happened overnight. If you didn't hear it, she has decided not to compete in the individual all-round competition. And uh, yesterday, you know, it was a big deal that she dropped out for her team for the team competition. And the United States ended up slipping into silver medal instead of gold medal without her competing. But we had some belief that maybe she took the individual more seriously since it was all about her. And uh, nope, she's not going to compete in that either. Hey, pump up that music, Michael. It's an information party. That's what this is. We're partying with information. Combined with entertainment, that's what entertainment is. Back to Simone Biles briefly. Um, so she's in pretty rough shape. She won't even compete in the uh, individual all round. I see she's doing a number of interviews. And I just think it's kind of interesting that she's being treated differently. You know, uh, I, I don't like the term reverse racism, and I don't like the term re- reverse sexism because it's either racist or sexist. But 
Um, it's she's getting treated differently because she's a woman and particularly a young woman than she would be getting treated if she was a dude for doing this. If Michael Phelps had decided last Olympics, you know, I'm not going to swim, just the pressure of being the, the goat and everybody and being the star of the Olympics, I just can't do it. People would be mocking him for being a head case. And if Tom Brady in, in the Super Bowl had decided not to come out at half, everybody's talking about me being the greatest of all time and just the pressure of it, I can't do it. Oh, my God, he'd have been mocked endlessly and seen as weak and crazy and all kinds of things. It wouldn't have been sad sympathy the way people are with Simone Biles. Maybe that's appropriate, but it's she's being treated differently because she's a young woman than she would be uh, if she were a man. No doubt about it. Anyway, we'll talk more about that later. That's That's something. She had an opportunity to really separate herself as the greatest of all time, and just mentally, it was too much but at least partially because of social media. Anyway, we got to talk about uh, what the government's doing around masks. Uh, it is Wednesday, July 28th. I'm Jack Armstrong, and he's Joe Getty on this uh, program here that we're going to kick off officially right now. Why did the president say, if you've been fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask? Let me repeat. Let me repeat. If you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. I think that was a week ago tonight, or a week ago tomorrow night. It's uh, not that many days ago. The President of the United States said, let me repeat, if you've been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. And the science backs him up on that. But yesterday, the uh, Biden administration uh, made the announcement that uh, people should wear masks, even if they are vaccinated indoors. Now, that doesn't carry any weight, really, but uh, that suggestion will lead uh, states and counties to start mandating masks, guaranteed. And um, so let's get into a little of the details on this. Mark Thiessen wrote an interesting piece in the Washington Post today, getting to some of the actual statistics on this. And uh, when you hear these, I think you, like me, will wonder why the hell, hell are we wearing masks again? Vaccinated Americans are more likely to die from a lightning strike than COVID. Don't bring back the restrictions. I'm going to read through a fair amount of this because I thought it was all pretty interesting. From Mark Thiessen, Washington Post. This is absurd. While it's tragic that some unvaccinated Americans are suffering, for the vaccinated, the pandemic is over. The rise in COVID-19 cases among the unvaccinated poses no serious threat to those who have been immunized. The data is clear. According to the CDC... As of July 19th, and this is recent data, a grand total of 4,072 vaccinated Americans had been hospitalized with symptomatic breakthrough infections. Out of more than 161 million who have been fully vaccinated, a little over 4,000 have been hospitalized. That's a breakthrough hospitalization rate of less than 0.003%. Better still, of those hospitalized who had been vaccinated, only 849 have died of COVID-19. That means the death rate from those breakthrough infections is 0.0005%. To put that in perspective, your chance of dying from a lightning strike is 0.0007%. How often do you worry about being struck by lightning? Never would be the answer. But the chance of a lightning strike is greater than the chance of dying from uh, the infection if you have been vaccinated. Uh, your chance of dying from the flu, by the way, is 0.1%. 
vastly more likely than it is of dying of the COVID if you have been vaccinated. If you're vaccinated, you have a much greater chance of dying from a hornet wasp or a bee sting or a dog attack or a car crash or a drowning or sunstroke or choking than you do of dying from COVID-19 statistically. The vast majority of those who do become seriously ill from breakthrough infections are older and have underlying conditions or have underlying conditions. According to the Minnesota Department of Health, the median age of those hospitalized with breakthrough infections is 74. An Israeli study of patients hospitalized with breakthrough infections, and you do understand the term breakthrough infections. That means you got infected when you were vaccinated. An Israeli study uh, of patients hospitalized with breakthrough infections found that only 4% had no comorbidities. The rest had pre-existing illnesses such as cancer or congestive heart, heart failure or something else. So if you're old and you've got some serious health problems, it might die. For, for those, if you're under 65 and you don't have a comorbidity, you, you go from lightning strike to just really it can't happen. What this means is, back to reading from Mark Thiessen and not my editorializing, what this means is that for otherwise healthy vaccinated people, and that's most of us uh, listening right now, and those who have natural immunity from previous infection, the chance of dying of COVID-19 is very close to zero. What we're doing then is, for a tiny, tiny chance that you could get the vaccine, or you have the vaccine, you could get the covid and get it to the point that you could actually shed it to other people, you could give it to somebody who's unvaccinated. Because somebody else who's vaccinated, at the rate that you're shedding the COVID as a vaccinated person, another vaccinated person, you're not going to give it to. And even if they got it the tiny bit, they're going to be fine. So this is all about those of us who got the shot masking up for people who didn't. Now that is something you got to chew on for a while. How do you feel about wearing a mask at work or at school or at the hospital or wherever you are? How do you feel about having to wear the mask to protect people who have chosen not to get the vaccine? Because that's what's going on right here. And they don't want to say it specifically out loud because I think they know how a lot of people are going to react. A lot of people are going to react with, that's their problem. You can get a vaccine anywhere. They've got more vaccines than they know what to do with, and there's nobody in line for an appointment. You could go today and get the vaccine. That's your problem. That's the way I feel. You chose not to get the vaccine? That's fine. I have no problem with you making that decision. You're probably um, uh, healthy and not over 75, so you feel like, I'm not going to get it very bad. I'm not going to die. You made that decision? That's fine. But why am I going to wear a mask? Uh, there's going to be great resistance to this. Also, you've got the problem of you've just announced to unvaccinated people that if you get the vaccination, you still got to wear a mask. (laughs) So um, one of the only things that was going to make anybody get the vaccination in the first place, the fact that you could take off your mask, has now been taken away. The carrot has been removed. They weren't worried about the stick, obviously, because the stick wasn't scaring people into getting the vaccination. The stick is getting the COVID, and people have made the decision that, you know, I'm healthy enough, I'm young enough, I'm not worried about it. So the stick wasn't working, and the only carrot out there was you can take your mask off, and now that's been taken away. So how do you think anybody who's unvaccinated, what what's going to motivate them to get vaccinated at this point? I expect any day now to hear the announcement that here in the building we work in that we have to go back to wearing masks in the hallways. I think that's going to start happening all over the country. And uh, obviously, the bluer your city, county, or state is, the more likely they're going to mandate it. Um, I They're just now in California mandating it for people who work in uh, hospitals. Uh, 
Uh, nationwide, about a third of the people who work in hospitals are not vaccinated. The people who know the most about it, the people that have seen the most uh, up front and in person with their own eyeballs devastation from this COVID, have decided, a lot of them, not to get the vaccine. And again, I'm fine with that. You can decide to do that. I just don't know why I have to wear a mask now. So the Biden administration turning 180 degrees from what the president said just days ago. And that's where we are on the whole mask thing now. Now, that article goes on to talk about kids and the likelihood of kids getting it or spreading it and why it's ridiculous to have kids wear masks in school. We'll get into that later this hour. But we actually have a report on the Olympics coming up in just a second, which I'm kind of looking forward to. We're going to talk to uh, Sally Jenkins, who we've had on the show before. Great sports reporter on what's going on with the Olympics now. Tokyo is getting hit the hardest they've been hit by COVID since COVID started. They're having the worst of their COVID experience right now with the Olympics going on, which is kind of weird. All that's on the way. I'd love to hear your uh, texts on the whole mask thing. Um, do you have any sympathy for Maybe Maybe sympathy is not the right word. It's not sympathy for the unvaccinated. I feel like you made your choice, and I'm perfectly fine with you making that choice. I don't think you need to be coddled or anything. You just decided I'm not worried about it. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The greatest female swimmer of all time, Katie Ledecky to the wall, who will win gold. And here comes 20-year-old Erica Sullivan to pick up the silver. Finishing one and two in the swimming there, that Katie Ledecky, who is uh, supposed to, that's the wrong thing to say, expected to, that's not fair either. I don't like that they decide who's going to win the golds ahead of time. And then if because then if you finish anything short of gold, it's a failure. Um, anyway, there are a couple of races that she was expected to win and uh, she did not. But she won the gold there. Uh, we have been doing pretty well at the swimming. Let's check in on the Olympic story with Sally Jenkins. She's the sports columnist for The Washington Post. We've had her on the show before. She's won all kinds of awards and honors for being a sports uh, columnist. How are you this morning, Sally? Doing great. Thank you. Um, uh, just in general, just kind of a general overview of the Olympics. I'm having trouble. I feel like the bloom is off the rose of Olympics to a certain extent. Um, I, I don't feel like people are paying as much attention as they have in Olympics past. I grew up with it being just a monumentally huge event. You know, the, the world would come to a stop. It felt like to me when the Olympics was going on. I don't feel like that's happening now. Uh, is that just my own life or do you feel that? I think there's something to that. I think part of it is some disillusion with the International Olympic Committee yeah. and the, the way they've gone about their business. I think people have some real objections to, you know, sending the games to Russia under Putin and to China under Xi Jinping. I think uh, Americans have the sense to know that doing business with dictators is not great for the Olympics. You know, there, I think it's a combination, too, of, you know, the, the COVID year and, um, being a little unsure about the wisdom of this Olympics. And, you know, I, I think it's a, a combination of factors that, that add up to maybe less than enchantment. 
Yeah, and uh, we've been talking about how things just change. You know, American Idol was the number one show in America for several years, and 40 million people would tune in, and then they just saw enough of it. (laughs) And when I was a kid, boxing was the biggest sport in the world. Every kid in my class always knew who the world heavyweight champion was. There's nobody in my son's class who would know that. I mean, so, you know, things come and go in popularity. It's just a fact. They do. I, I, what doesn't go out of style is is the excitement of you know watching a a really great performance. You know, watch watch somebody win a medal. Michael Phelps, I think, was you know just an epic an epic athlete to watch. And uh, you know, the athletes always cleanse the Olympics. I mean, that that's the thing. True. The performances take over, and they start exercising a charm over the whole affair that that kind of can draw you back in, despite your best intentions not to watch or you know not to give it that much attention yeah i'm i'm mostly speaking for the ratings and just other people i talk to i love the olympics my my son and i we watch the opening ceremonies i'm trying to have have him have the same experience i had as a kid because i i've always liked the olympics and we're gonna uh we're gonna take in a lot of the stuff um this this weekend um the way it's laid out on peacock you know and it's all there to watch whenever you want it you can just you know kind of a la carte it's interesting we're talking with sally jenkins sports columnist the washington post uh, it's interesting you got a column about what people are wearing. We got off on a thing the other day about why do they make the women beach volleyball people play in their underwear? Because it looks like it's women playing in panties to me. And, it uh, is. and, and I just, I just, I feel uncomfortable with that. And I think, I, why are they doing that? I agree. And, and then you watch the men and you see the men and, and, you know, in their somewhat baggy shorts well, right. and tank tops. Right. Just and to, you're like, just no, to, wait a minute. You're not doing this to the guys. You're yeah. not making the guys look this silly. Yeah. Just to jump into yeah. a second, I want to hear more what you have to say about that because, you know, it was just a man's perspective. Uh, I was given the other day, but um, uh, we got a number of texts in. Well, they have to wear those clothes because the sand would get in your... Yeah, it doesn't seem to no. affect the dudes. <laughs> no, no, that's silly. No, no, if you... And I, this is partly why I wrote the column in the Washington Post the other day. If you actually take the trouble to, pu- to pull up the beach volleyball rules, you can't believe the difference in the instructions, the uniform instructions for the women than the men. Seven times it says that the women must wear closely fitting this or fitted closely that i mean it's all about outlining their body wow really creepy and weird well so 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 it's overtly they realize i guess that the the ratings are pretty good for beach volleyball particularly the women because it's hot women in their their panties (laughs) exactly with very little fabric covering i mean it's the same with the top too like yeah one of the one of the rules is like if you like your neckline has to be uh 12 centimeters deep, you know? Wow. That's yeah. something I, I didn't mean, realize it was very, that that on purpose. No, it's very overt, very yeah. overt. And and one of the reasons is, and, you know, I'm not big on this stuff, but, you know, if you look up the makeup of the <clears throat> executive committee in the sport, I mean, it's like it's like 16 men on the on the executive committee of 23 people. I mean, it's overwhelmingly male. 16 and, uh, 80 year old men who are taking yeah. cash handouts from the Chinese and the Russians. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, you're not you're not exaggerating when you say that. Exactly. I know. I we, we've only got a few seconds. If you could just jump in with the, the Simone Biles thing, what 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 what's what do you think of that? Well, I, I think people need to understand the term twisties. It's a phenomenon in gymnastics, and the layperson probably doesn't get it and probably watched her walk off that floor and went, you know, you know, what the F. Um, but in gymnastics, people instantly understood what it was. The twisties is when you develop 
uh, disorientation in the air. It's like a pilot losing the, the sight line of the horizon that is disoriented. That is interesting. I did not know that. I will do a little more research on that. I'm afraid we're out of time. I really appreciate you jumping on the air with us today. Sally Jenkins, sports columnist, Washington Post. Read her stuff. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Dang it. I should have left more time for Sally Jenkins we were just talking to about the Olympics because I wanted to get more into the Simone Biles thing. I think she was she was making the argument that what 
Simone Biles is doing this very complicated uh, thing that you can't mess up or you break your neck. So it's it's not like, you know, you can go out there kind of uh, not in a good emotional state and shoot baskets, and you might miss some, and you miss whatever. You're not going to break your neck. Um, like if you go and try to do all those twists and land on your feet if you're not in the right headspace. Anyway, we'll get into more of that later. We'd like to say welcome Sarah Westwood back to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Long time no talk, Sarah. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. She is the political and investigative reporter for the Washington Examiner. First, I, w- I would appreciate it if all you Sarahs would get together and decide whether there's an H on the end of your name or not. Yesterday I was dealing with my son, a tutor and a therapist. One's a Sarah with an H and one is a Sarah with an A, and I kept getting mixed up, and I think you all should just decide on one and move forward. Well, if someone with an H, I would say that is the correct way to spell it. Without an H, you've forgotten the letter. Also, I think all Kirstens, Kristens, and Kirstens need to get there, get together and choose one. <laughs> It's no fair. I agree. Um, uh, so a couple of different directions we could go. Um, first of all, I really, I really liked your article before we get into some of the critical race theory stuff and how it gets into the schools. Um, uh, I liked your definition of critical race theory in one of your articles in which you said it is now a catch-all term for lessons and policies that encourage children to see themselves and others almost exclusively through the lens of race. I appreciate that because I feel like there's a lot of the pushback on uh, some of the critical race theory, says that that's not specifically critical race theory, but what most of us mean, those of us who didn't go to Harvard Law School in the 90s, we mean anything that leans toward um, uh, where we're focusing on race for, for everything in society. That makes sense to me. Right, and I think you're touching on something super important, which is that so much of the opposition to critical race theory, um, or excuse me, so much of the supporters of things that would be classified as critical race theory are focusing the debate on how we define critical race theory. And if you're not specifically referring to the 1970s academic framework from Bell, then, you know, you don't know what you're talking about and you're not qualified to engage in this debate. I think it's a way of sort of trying to invalidate a lot of the feelings of parents by making them feel like they don't know what they're talking about. But ultimately, critical race theory has come to mean any sort of policy that is focusing on race um, and teaching children that they should see the world through the lens of race and see themselves through that lens of race. And so I think um, by pushing back on the idea that critical race theory even exists in K-12 classrooms at all, uh, it's a way for supporters of this kind of curriculum to avoid having to engage in a debate over the merits of, of teaching kids right. this sort of way of looking at the world. Yeah, I like I like that distinction, Sarah Westwood of the Washington Examiner. So you got into a, a question that I think a lot of parents probably don't know, and we all should. How does a particular curriculum textbook end up in the school? Is it come from the federal government, from the state, from the who, who makes these decisions? And you looked into that. I did. And what, what we, you know, sort of laid out in an article about this is that typically it's the textbook adoption decisions and curriculum decisions are made at the local level. Local school districts will have these sort of committees of educators and experts that will make recommendations to the school board, and the school boards will approve what goes into the schools. And that's why you see so many eruptions of CRT opposition at school boards, because that's the pressure point for parents to express their opposition and try to get the school board 
not to just rubber stamp some of these more controversial textbooks and lessons that the local committees are recommending. Yeah, we've been saying for a long time on this show that people, and I include myself 100% on this, people are not active enough at the local level. Man, we're willing to get in an argument about who's going to be president or some federal policy. Don't go to the city council meetings. We don't go to our school board meetings. The things that we can actually control and argue about things that we have very little input on. I've been to one city council meeting, I think, in my entire life that I spoke at over uh, homelessness in my neighborhood. I should go uh, on a regular basis. Same with school board meetings. We should get more involved because, as you just laid out, it's at that local level that they're deciding what gets into your school. Right, and I think this CRT fight has sort of raised a level of awareness that I haven't seen about the importance of the school boards. And you are seeing some of that activism take the form of politics in that some parents are organizing recall uh, efforts. That's happening in Loudoun County, Virginia, which is outside of D.C., where parents have organized this massive recall effort for several school board members to try to, to get them removed from their seats through politics. And out in Texas, in South Lake, Texas, which is sort of an affluent suburb, there was actually a a fair amount of money that was thrown behind some parents who challenged school board members on the basis of those members' support for CRT. So you are starting to see that happen in isolated places. And I think as local elections creep up and as we get into this next school year starting in the fall, you're going to see a lot more of that and parents realizing the importance of, of focusing on those elections. So I was looking at your Twitter feed there, Sarah, with an H, and I saw you retweeted an article, and I don't know if you've written anything about this or you're just uh, more or less commenting on it. It was a New York Times article from a while back where it talked about um, we're stigmatizing children by labeling them as behind, all these kids that haven't been in school for a year and a half um, with regular learning, and some schools are going to continue with the Zoom learning, where if you're a parent and you got kids doing the Zoom learning, you know they aren't learning even close to normal level. And uh, and you retweeted uh, this idea that it's traumatizing to school to children somehow to tell them that they're behind. Well, what else are we going to do? Are we going to ignore it? Right. That seems like a convenient way to avoid accountability for the learning losses that the schools and the teachers' unions have inflicted on these kids by keeping the schools closed for so long. And there's just an overwhelming body of evidence that the benefits of having kids in the classroom outweigh any remaining risks to these children. And yet we're seeing, you know, these masking mandates being imposed on the schools, which isn't necessarily detrimental to learning in itself, but it certainly paves the way to have some of the commitments to full reopenings rolled back. And so I think that's why a lot of parents you know, including myself, I started kindergarten this year, are, oh, are a little bit worried that yeah. the schools may not open as scheduled. Your son will start kindergarten this year? Yes. Okay, good, because I, I, I know several people who's, uh, whose kids started kindergarten last year, and it just was heartbreaking, because kindergarten is such a special time. I mean, you know, it's, it's all about fun and play and learning to be around other kids and stuff like that, and it's just so cute. And the fact that there's a... You know, uh, the millions of kids across the country that missed out on that experience and were sitting there staring at a, a Zoom camera as a five-year-old is just ridiculous. Well, I hope your your, your son gets to be in school. Um, how's the masking around where you uh, where you live in D.C. area, I assume? Uh, yeah, I do live around the D.C. area. And recently, you know, after the CDC guidance came out in the spring suggesting that vaccinated people didn't necessarily have to wear a mask indoors or outdoors or anywhere, the masking 
really fell around the district. And, you know, for the first time, I felt comfortable going places without wearing one. It'll be interesting to see the level of compliance, though, that follows this latest move from the Biden administration yesterday to try to encourage people, even vaccinated people, to mask up once again in certain indoor situations. Because vaccinated people have been told that they didn't need to do that. By the president of the United States just (laughs) days ago. And he said, he specifically said, I repeat, if you are vaccinated, you do not have to wear a mask. Just a couple of days ago. Right. And it's the science behind, you know, these decisions hasn't changed. No, There were variants in the spring. And it is clear that the vaccine continues to protect vaccinated people against severe cases and cuts down on transmission significantly. And yet, because the Biden administration has missed its vaccination targets, they're trying to keep the virus under control. But the problem is that this severely undercuts the argument for the vaccine. Of course, of course. Yeah, this could serve to really undermine their vaccination. Yeah, I was just talking about that. It's absolutely amazing. The 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 stick is so the my theory is there's a carrot and a stick on the covid, right? Or the 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 vaccine. And the the stick apparently doesn't bother people that are unvaccinated. They've decided for whatever reason and fine with me that I'm not worried about it. Okay, so you're not worried about the stick end of it. Now the carrot of you don't have to wear a mask anymore has been removed. So now there's no reason for those people to want to get vaccinated. Um, do you ever wish you were still the White House reporter for CNN? So like yesterday when they did a 180 on the mask, you could say, hey, what the hell? <laughs> I don't know if that would be my reaction <laughs> on the air, at least. But definitely the messaging from the left, from the media, has been sort of incoherent when it comes to masks. Are they, and to the vaccine as well. Does it work? Or should we be worried about the Delta variant? Should we be celebrating the efficacy of vaccines enough that we don't need to worry about it. It's been very confusing. And for anyone who is still wrestling with the decision of whether to get vaccinated, you know, there isn't a lot of reliable message coming out of the the government about what they should do and what risks they're facing. No doubt. Sarah Westwood, political and investigative reporter, the Washington Examiner, follower on Twitter or uh, just read the newspaper or, or whatever. Sarah, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, uh, it's it's one thing for the uh, the the administration to change its policy on masking. That can happen, you know. When the uh, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do? You know the famous Winston Churchill quote. It's I paraphrased it. I got it wrong, but it's more or less that. But in a, in a couple of days to do a one eighty on the masks as a, for vaccinated people is ah, that's really undermining your authority. Uh, Sarah Westwood there. So I've got some of the numbers um, getting back to the opinion piece in the Washington Post from Mark Thiessen. I thought he did a great job yesterday as soon as the announcement came out. Some of the numbers on children and the likelihood of your kids getting it or spreading it in the schools since they announced yesterday that, hey, kids are going to be wearing masks, teachers are going to be wearing masks, whether you're vaccinated or not. We'll hit you with a little more of that and other stuff. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. got a mouthful of uh, coffee grounds, and I don't know why that is so upsetting when that happens. 
something went wrong with the coffee machine, a mouthful of coffee grounds. I don't know if it's because you're expecting a liquid and you got a solid or what, but it's very off-putting when you get coffee grounds like that. Um, uh, they're gross. Now, I can't get them out of my mouth. Um, I've got some stats on uh, children and COVID, and going so heavy on COVID today because the freaking CDC came out yesterday with another announcement. Back to masks! Even if you're vaccinated, you got to wear a mask indoors. What the hell? Uh, more on that in a second. We are big on... Um, now, this is not a high-class story. So if you don't like this sort of thing, now you might want to tune out. We're kind of big on serial pooper stories around here. People that... This happens now and then. Remember there was a guy that, that, that they kept finding somebody had pooped on the the 50-yard line of the high school football field, and they eventually found out it was the superintendent of the school. See, there are, hey, those of you who might want to do this sort of thing, there are video cameras everywhere in the modern world, so you're going to get caught. But uh, here we got another one. We colored the pooper. We have found her droppings in our yards. She carries her own toilet paper, and she just leaves the toilet paper behind. In three or four different yards down the street, every other yard. The toilet paper is the calling card, so we know when we see that that she's been around. You call her the pooper? That's the best nickname you could come up with? How about Kaka Karen? Or anything, really, better than the pooper? That's just it's too on the nose. Anyway, so they've been on the lookout for her, and they, like I said, there are video cameras everywhere, and they had some video footage, but not good enough that you could, like, really, really zoom, you know, zoom in and, and figure out who it was. So they're posting the captured footage that had been uh, taken from various people's security systems, and towns have video cameras on light poles and that sort of thing. And they had posted the footage to Nextdoor and Reddit, and eventually they figured out who the woman was. And she did it a lot. Um... Let me find the part where it said, so he called her the pooper. Oh, she did three or four different yards down the street every other yard last week. What? What? I think she likes it is the problem. But eh, she's been caught. Again, you got to come up with a better name than the pooper. Now, how do you like to have videos of you on social media? Well, there's a good way to avoid having videos of you on social media doing this. Don't poop in people's yards. And people had gone to putting yard signs. This is a very plain-spoken neighborhood here, and it's in Indiana. Hey, Midwest, you expect people to be plain spoken. We'll call the pooper, and they and they put signs in their yards that said, don't poop in my yard. Once again, very to the point, no flowery language, nothing complicated here. The signs just said, don't poop in my yard. <laughs> they didn't turn out to be effective until they found the scoundrel, uh, the crapping Karen. So back to covid so I went through the stats earlier this hour, Mark Thiessen, Washington Post today, about how if you're vaccinated, the chance of dying from the COVID is significantly less than that of dying from a lightning strike, which you never worry about ever. And actually, if you're under 65 and don't have, uh, you know, heart disease, high blood pressure, one of those comorbidities, they call them, uh, if, if you're one of those people, it's really zero. So the only justification for making me wear a mask again is to protect other unvaccinated people. And I'm not sure that excuse is good enough for me. But to the kids angle of it, because they announced yesterday that kids have to wear masks in school. Kids and teachers, everyone at the school has to wear masks this year, regardless of vaccination status till further notice. As Johns Hopkins University professor Marty McCary points out in the Wall Street Journal, CDC data shows that more of more than 600,000 Americans 
who died with COVID. We've all heard that number. 600,000 Americans, unfortunately, have died of COVID. Only 335 were kids under the age of 18. This is the first time I've heard this statistic. How many kids have died of COVID? 335. But there's more to it than that. The CDC has no idea whether they had a pre-existing condition or whether their COVID diagnosis was incidental or or causal. In other words, of those 335, which is a tiny number, out of 600,000, they don't actually know at this point whether these kids died with COVID or of COVID. In other words, they had something else and COVID, and they were going to die anyway. They just happened to have COVID. So we don't even know the answer to that yet, and it's a tiny number. A research team at Johns Hopkins led by uh, McCary looked at 48,000 children under 18 diagnosed with COVID-19 and found a mortality rate of zero among children without a pre-existing medical condition. Zero, such as a pediatric cancer, that sort of thing. If your kid has got something like that and you know it, I know it. I've got a kid that's compromised. I've got another kid that's not. And my child that is not compromised has basically zero chance of dying of COVID. Zero. Regardless, he's been wearing a mask all over the place, including on the playground at various times. Even though there's never been a, a single case spread outdoors that has been nailed down by any science. The fact is that children are at extremely low risk from COVID-19, and this much is certain. Teachers who are vaccinated and otherwise healthy face no serious risk from their unvaccinated students. But with the surge caused by the Delta variant expected to peak in late August or early September, right when schools are set to open, expect the teachers' unions to use Delta to demand that schools stay closed until young children are vaccinated. That is no justification, says Mark Thiessen, whatsoever not to open schools or to require that children wear masks or be vaccinated to return to the classroom. And there's no justification to mandate that vaccinated Americans wear masks or to reimpose any restrictions on the everyday activities of citizens who have either natural or vaccinated immunity. The science is there. Uh, Over 99% of the deaths that are occurring right now are in unvaccinated people. These deaths are tragic because they're almost entirely preventable, but people chose not to get the vaccine, and that's your choice. (sighs) So kids are not dying from this thing. Kids are not spreading this thing. If you're a teacher and you're not vaccinated, I can't help you. But certainly we should not change any policy for the kids in the school because you've chosen not to get vaccinated. There's plenty of vaccine around. Oh, my God, the numbers are overwhelming. The idea that we're following the science on this crap at this point is just laughable. We're doing the opposite. We're we're not following overwhelmingly one-sided numbers. I'm almost entirely one-sided numbers, and we're ignoring them by making us wear masks and kid wear masks and perhaps school's not even opening. I hope, crossing my fingers, that they don't do that to the kids again this year. Uh, Text line is 415-295-KFTC. In hour two, we're going to talk to Mike Lyons about some uh, military stuff, China, Etc. Etc. A lot of good stuff on the way. I hope you can stay with us. If you missed an hour, get it at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. 
Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.